Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. More on the FBI's raid of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Documents seized and reactions from the Trump family and White House. Plus, in an exclusive interview with NTD, Florida Congressman Matt Gates weighs in on the Mar-a-Lago raid as Republicans demand answers accusing the administration of overreach. A $280 billion bill signed into law today with President Biden vowing to make chips in America to outcompete China. What the law will do and what officials are saying. New immigration action from the DHS as New York City is under mounting pressure to handle an influx of illegal immigrants. Biden grants U.S. approval to Sweden and Finland joining NATO. What he says about the alliance expansion. The women's 23-time major tennis champion Serena Williams is at a crossroads in life. Will the U.S. Open be her last tournament? The White House responds to the FBI's raid of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Several reporters asked White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre about it today. Is this administration weaponizing the Justice Department and the FBI against political opponents? Peter, the president believes in the rule of law. The president believes in the independence of the Department that's, of Justice. That's a yes or no. Just no, is that the White is House. no. It's a yes or a no for you. I'm answering the question. You may not like it, but I'm answering the question, I'm and I'm no, no. I'm answering the question, and I'm telling you that we are not going to comment on a criminal investigation. Jean-Pierre stresses that President Biden believes the Justice Department is independent in its investigations. And she says it isn't appropriate for the White House to comment on any ongoing investigations. A federal district judge had approved the search warrants days ahead of the raid. NTD Steve Lance has more information on how this played out. Court records show the U.S. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt issued warrants last Friday. The White House today claimed it was not informed ahead of the raid. The FBI searched the Florida Mar-a-Lago resort on Monday. Trump was not in the state at the time. Trump's son, Eric Trump, told Fox News the raid was about documents. The purpose of the raid, from what they said, was because the National Archives wanted to, you know, corroborate uh, whether or not Donald Trump had any documents in his possession. Trump previously agreed to return certain records to the archives, calling it an ordinary and routine process. Trump supporters gathered outside Mar-a-Lago Monday night and Tuesday to decry the FBI's actions. Also today, a federal appeals court ruled that a House committee could obtain Trump's tax records, but Trump's lawyers could appeal this decision. And Republicans are demanding answers on the raid, warning of corrupt intentions and insisting on a thorough investigation. Earlier today, I spoke with Florida Congressman Matt Gates to hear his take. Congressman Matt Gates, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Now, Congressman Jim Jordan is calling on the FBI and the DOJ's directors to testify this Friday. What questions do you have for them? We're going to want to see the predicate for this unprecedented raid on President Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, we're going to want to know if there were senior officials involved in something that is so abjectly anti-democratic. I mean, you know, I used to chastise Joe Biden for being part of the Venezuela wing of the Democratic Party. 
But now with inflation crushing our people and with opposition leaders being raided, we're looking more and more like Venezuela every day. And that would likely be the crux of the questioning that we would have on Friday. Certainly, Jim Jordan has shown great leadership. Also, Kevin McCarthy has shown very strong leadership on this issue uh, since we've seen this terrible action by the Biden administration. And if the FBI doesn't give an explanation that the American public finds justified, how could this impact the public's faith in the, in the agency? We are at the lowest level of trust in the DOJ and the FBI in those institutions' entire history because we see time and again politics uh, impacting investigation decisions. Right now in the House Judiciary Committee, we have a number of whistleblowers who've come forward to say two things principally. If there's anything negative about Trump or his allies, that gets accelerated, leaked, and used for political purposes. Meanwhile, the FBI and DOJ are protecting Hunter Biden by downgrading information that shows compromise of the first family driven by the Chinese Communist Party. So we're really living in an era now where the FBI and the DOJ are becoming the enforcement wing of the Democratic Party. Trump's son, Eric, says that agents claim that they raided Mar-a-Lago because the National Archives wanted to see whether Trump had any documents from his time in office. In your view, could the needs of the National Archives ever justify a search of this magnitude? It's almost like some fantastical reformation of the you know, national treasure movie. Like, what's next? Is Joe Biden going to demand a raid of Nicolas Cage's home to get the Declaration of Independence? You know, I, I, it can't possibly be that a clerical matter regarding the archives would justify 30 FBI agents showing up heavily armed to raid the home of the former president of the United States. This is the defining moment of the entire Biden presidency because it has never happened before in American history. Our adversaries will even use this to justify their own totalitarian actions against political opposition all over the world. So the notion this was like some clerical matter for the archives is patently ludicrous. This was a political message, a political symbol, a political show of force from the Biden administration because they have a legislative agenda that is unpopular and they are facing an outcome in the midterms that will undeniably take power from them. Commenting on the raid, a former Clinton attorney pointed to a federal code that bars someone from holding office if they illegally conceal certain documents. Are you concerned at all about this search unjustly hurting Trump's chance at ever holding office again? Well, you're speaking of conspiracy theorist Mark Elias. Remember, this is the same Clinton political attorney who was very involved in peddling the Russia hoax, which was really the first effort by the FBI and DOJ to smear and destabilize Donald Trump uh, unfairly and without due process and without following their own rules. And so uh, I think that that prediction from that person is uh, not one to be taken too seriously because this is someone who's peddled these conspiracy theories before. But it does show that the goal of the political left isn't to win free and fair elections where people can choose the candidate of their choice. Their goal is to bar people from even being a choice. And again, that is yet another example of what we see in the poorest countries in the world. I mean, think about it. We've got carjackings in broad daylight, raids of political opposition leaders. That's the type of thing you would expect to see in some third world country, not in our United States of America. And you've called this raid a political performance. What about it gives you that impression? 
Well, because it wasn't done by subpoena. Normally, if you're seeking documents, you issue a subpoena and then receive them as a consequence. Here, you had 30 FBI agents heavily armed showing up. My sources are telling me that even the, the uh, area around President Trump's great American flag was just full of black cars and SUVs from the FBI. So they wanted this to be a show of force. They wanted this to be a performance. Uh, and I think people right now all over the country are seeing it as an extreme and very dangerous exercise of politics, not legitimate law enforcement activity. And what happens next? How will you respond to what's happened? Well, Republicans are going to take control after these midterms, and we are going to dissect this decision like it was January 6th. We're going to get into every official who had anything to do with authorizing it, allowing it, because this is a very dangerous thing to do for our, our national unity. It's a very dangerous thing to do to the American brand worldwide. And so I think uncovering this very corrupt decision calculus will be at the top of the agenda when Republicans take control. And finally, what does this raid mean for the country and for the country's future? It's never happened before. We've never seen anything like this. Previously, the FBI and DOJ cheated, violated their own rules, violated the Fifth Amendment in order to spy on people they believed were close to the Trump campaign. And when they were exposed for breaking the law in doing so, uh, they didn't lick their wounds and have self-reflection and change their policies. They simply increased the acuity of their aggression. Now we're seeing President Trump's lawyer uh, getting, getting uh, you know, searched. Uh, getting his phone taken away, not even being able to see the warrant. That was John Eastman. We're seeing Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro prosecuted over very dubious claims. Uh, and we're even now seeing this aggressive action against the president. But I think this is really going to backfire. I think what happens next is a rallying around Trump, uh, a likely Trump announcement for president in 2024, and an invigorated political movement ready to support him. Florida Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And at the White House, President Biden signed a semiconductor bill into law today. NTD's Iris Tao took, looks into what this means for the chip industry and the economy. Signing into law a $280 billion semiconductor bill, President Biden vowing... The future of the chip industry is going to be made in America. The bill, formerly known as the Chips and Science Act, passed the House and Senate last month with rare bipartisan support. And it came after more than a year of wrangling on the Hill and multiple versions of the legislation. The package includes more than $50 billion for chip manufacturing and research and development. And that, Biden says, will help the U.S. counter China, which has publicly opposed the legislation. And China is trying to move away ahead of us and manufacture these sophisticated chips as well. It's no wonder the Chinese Communist Party actively lobbied U.S. business against this bill. Other officials adding that chips, which are essential to cars and smartphones, are a matter of national security. And our over-reliance on foreign manufacturers is a real vulnerability. But as has been said, that's going to change. But critics from both sides of the aisle have blasted the bill as a corporate handout. The fact that we're putting even more money, billions of dollars, into economy, which is already suffering from record high inflation. And while Biden promises... This law is not handing out blank checks to companies. 
Today, I'm ordering my administration to be laser-focused on the guardrails that will protect taxpayers' dollars. Others have expressed doubt about whether those measures would actually work. The so-called guardrails would do nothing to prevent microchip companies from outsourcing a single job abroad. In fact, the so-called guardrails would not even force Intel to divest all of the money they are put into semiconductor companies in China. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Turning now to immigration, New York City's mayor says illegal immigrants are overwhelming the city's systems. And the city council held a special hearing on the issue today. The Texas governor says he'll continue to send people to Democrat-run cities until the Biden administration secures the border. But the Department of Homeland Security just officially ended the Remain in Mexico policy. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with more. The Department of Homeland Security has officially ended the Remain in Mexico policy, which previously allowed the Border Patrol to send immigrants to Mexico to await their court dates. In a twist, the DHS will now gradually allow several thousand migrants who are currently in Mexico into the U.S. to pursue their asylum claims. This as FEMA continues to spend millions to house illegal immigrants across the country. Andrew Arthur, resident at the D.C.-based Center for Immigration Studies, points out that FEMA is an organization specifically designed to handle disasters. FEMA is the DHS uh, organization that is dedicated to responding to disasters. It's high time that the Biden administration actually admit that its policies have led to a disaster at the southwest border. But the situation is now spilling over into cities far from the border, prompting the New York City Council today to hold a special hearing on how to handle the recent influx of migrants, who Mayor Eric Adams has said is overwhelming the system. Predominantly young men from Venezuela. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has sent around 70 illegal immigrants to New York City and more than 6,000 to Washington, D.C. And he says he will continue to do so until, quote, Biden does his constitutional duty and secures our border. Adams today responding. I am deeply contemplating taking a busload of New Yorkers uh, to go to Texas and do some good old fashioned door knocking. The mayor and others often refer to the illegal immigrants as asylum seekers, which Arthur tells NTD is a mischaracterization. Many, uh, if not most of them, don't actually have valid asylum claims they're not going to be eligible for. Right now, uh, in immigration court, there is a backlog of about 1.6 million cases. Does this slow down the asylum process for those who actually would, um, in fact, be eligible for asylum? Yeah, and that's a key point that I think, um, you know, many people in the administration and most of the public doesn't get. There are individuals, uh, aliens who are in the United States who are eligible for asylum and they should be granted as quickly as possible. Reforming the asylum system is an immigration issue where both Republicans and Democrats have found common ground. A few bipartisan bills have been introduced to address this issue. However, congressional leadership has not yet taken it as a priority to get results. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And Sweden and Finland are now one step closer to officially joining NATO. President Biden today signed documents granting U.S. approval to the two nations' membership. Here are the details. President Biden on Tuesday signed ratification documents at the White House approving Sweden and Finland's NATO membership. The U.S. is the 23rd NATO member to do so. 
and Sweden and Finland have strong democratic institutions, strong militaries, and strong and transparent economies. They'll meet every NATO requirement. We're confident of that. And we will make, and make our alliance stronger and will make America and the American people safer in the process. The Senate approved the membership last week in a vote of 95 to 1. NATO is currently made up of 30 members, including the U.S., Canada, and 28 European nations. Together, we committed that the United States, Finland, and Sweden would continue to remain vigilant against any threats to our shared security and deter any confrontation and confront any aggression or threat of aggression that might come up. And I urge the remaining allies to complete their own ratification progress as quickly as possible. All members must approve before Sweden and Finland are officially part of the military alliance. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And in Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is now required to testify in a lawsuit that she started. The governor is trying to overrule an almost 100-year-old state abortion law. In 1931, Michigan passed a law that makes almost all abortions illegal. This law couldn't be enforced in the past 50 years after the Roe v. Wade ruling. But when the Supreme Court overruled the decision this year, Michigan's law was triggered into effect again. Two county prosecutors have already said they'll prosecute any doctor who performs an abortion. Governor Whitmer then filed a restraining order against the two prosecutors to prevent them from enforcing the existing state statute. Now, in the latest move, the defense lawyer has subpoenaed Whitmer. The governor is, in the, on is the only plaintiff in the case, and so, according to the lawyer, she says she would be irreparably harmed if the existing state law is enforced. He wants her to testify how exactly she would personally be harmed. Coming up, concerns of a politicized IRS. Some Republicans criticize a bill that could lead to nearly 90,000 new IRS agents. And a columnist fears they'll go after conservatives. Two U.S. senators are trying to ban the Chinese Communist Party from buying farmland in the U.S. We take a closer look at this issue. That and more here on NTD News. NTD's Capital Report. It's about getting answers. Cutting through the fog of politics. It's about your questions and our chances to ask. What is the net impact of the American Carson Graves? Thank you for joining us. We're speaking to those in power to find out what does this mean for the people. We're here so you are in the know. Welcome back. Expanding the size of the federal government generally costs money, time, and draws a lot of criticism. Case in point, the Inflation Reduction Act, which would add tens of thousands of agents to the IRS. Some Republicans describe this expected mass hiring project to become a politicized army that will harass middle-class Americans. To get his take on the bill, earlier today I interviewed columnist and co-founder of Committee to Unleash Prosperity, Steve Moore. Steve Moore, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
The Biden administration is planning to hire 87,000 new IRS agents, which today say will target the super rich. But you're saying this is likely to miss the mark. Why is that? Well, first of all, we should just have a much simpler tax system. We don't need to hire another army of IRS agents. I think the tax system is so broken in America that this should be a wake-up call that we need a fundamental fix. Uh, maybe something like a flat tax that would be much simpler where you could have half as many agents. But I think the bigger problem here right now is that, uh, first of all, conservatives like me across the country are qu quite correctly terrified that the Biden administration is going to basically politicize the IRS uh, very much like it has the Justice Department and the FBI, so that the people who will be targeted for these million new audits a year are going to be Republicans and conservatives. And so that that is a frightening. We don't want a politicized uh, IRS, but um, that's actually what happened under Barack Obama, where some of his key enforcement people went after and targeted conservative groups. So with another tens of billions of dollars, that's something that's frightening to all Republicans. And what makes you think this administration is likely to do that? Oh, sure. I mean, they've already done it with the FBI, and they, we've seen what's happened in the Justice Department. So I think the odds are quite high that the people who are going to be running the show at the IRS will use their resources to go after people who have different political views than they do. But, you know, the other point is we have uh, big problems at the border right now, obviously, in the United States, where the Border Patrol needs at least five to 10,000 more agents so we can keep out the illegal immigrants and drug traffickers and, and criminals. We also need, uh, according to the Army, there are about 35 to 40,000 recruits short of the soldiers they need for our armed services and for our national security. And to me, it seems like securing our border and keeping our country safe and, and having the, uh, the military personnel that we need is a much higher priority than putting more people into the IRS. The bill is meant to help Congress raise more money. Do you think it will achieve that aim? Well, I don't think it's going to raise as much money as it's going to cost. <laughs> you know, the, this is some kind of dynamic scoring that they're using that somehow, you know, spending tens and tens of billions of dollars more on the uh, on the uh, IRS is going to raise money. Now, it may raise money for the government, but let's not forget that people who have to fight the IRS, I, I was two or three years ago in a major fight with the IRS where they claimed that I owed them $50,000 and and uh, I claimed that the IRS owed me money and I had to spend thousands and thousands of dollars defending myself. So let's not forget that when you have more of these uh, audits against small businesses and obviously they're not going to go after millionaires and billionaires, billionaires like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett uh, and Zuckerberg have armies of tax accountants and lawyers. It's the little guy who's going to get really crushed by these audits. So when you take into account the cost to the private sector, I think this isn't going to be a positive thing for the economy at all. And coming back to your concern about conservatives, if they are targeted, as you're suggesting they may be, what would that look like in practice? Well, what happened under the Obama administration, people forget Lois Lerner. She was the head of one of the uh, major divisions of the IRS, and she basically went after Tea Party organizations. She went after political groups that were opposed to the Obama agenda. So that's what I'm afraid of. I run a, a, a free market group that's been very critical of Biden called the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. We're, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we didn't get an audit notice in a few months, given uh, all these new resources. And so the idea is to try to shut up these groups and shut down these groups. And that's completely inconsistent with our system of democracy.
Are there instances where that's been effective? I mean, the, the, many of the uh, Tea Party organizations, you know, didn't get their IRS status. They couldn't get off the ground because the IRS wouldn't give them the designation that they needed to operate. So it's this isn't just a figment of our imagination. It has happened. It's very likely it will happen. And again, I mean, all people have to do is look what's, you know, the tragedy of what's happening in our Justice Department and our uh, in our FBI, where uh, look at what happened with Donald Trump and the raid on his home. I mean, that's the kind of tactics that the Biden administration is using against its political enemies. Steve Moore, co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. A Rhode Island mother is suing her school board for refusing to let her attend its meetings. Her attorney says the school district violated the state's open meetings law. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. In the South Kingstown, Rhode Island Public School District, the school committee is responsible to ensure the schools deliver a high-quality education for all students. But according to mom Nicole Solis, the committee isn't open about what it discusses in its meetings. So she filed a complaint saying they denied her request to attend the meetings. She claims the committee held several closed-door meetings to review school district policies with an anti-racist and equity lens. Solis's attorney, Jonathan Riches, says the committee violated Rhode Island's open meetings law. So Rhode Island has an open meetings law, and what that says is that the public has a right to attend any uh, hearing, any matter in which the public's business is going to be conducted. And what is your understanding as to why she was denied access to the meetings? The school committee and the advisory committee are claiming that um, this board is quote unquote informal and therefore it doesn't need to be open to the public. Um, Rhode Island case law is very clear on this though. Um, this board has significant advisory power. It's using public funds. Two of its members are um, public officials and its business is conducted on matters of public concern. Riches says Solis encountered resistance when she requested information about whether critical race theory or gender theories would be taught. I mean, at the end of the day, Parents have a right to know what their kids are going to learn in school. They have a right to be present when the public's business is being conducted. We reached out to the superintendent of South Kingstown School District, but we didn't hear back by broadcast time. The committee's website says it is committed to ensuring a safe, caring, nurturing, and orderly learning environment. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And in privacy, privacy issues, Amazon has acquired iRobot, the maker of the Roomba robot vacuum. But that's not all they got. They also got a great source of data. NTD Sean Marshall explains. Data. It's everywhere. Ripe for the taking. It's worth so much, we should be getting paid by the corporations that collect our data. For $1.7 billion, Amazon bought iRobot, a company that makes a robot vacuum which collects data about your home as it cleans. Are we allowing too much data collection in our personal spaces? With crypto hacks happening regularly now, I asked cyber expert Nick Donarski whether our information is safe. We like to think that our home has a physical barrier around it, but when we connect ourselves, when we connect these devices, 
and we don't really know the security around them. Smart household penetration has been on a steady increase for years with a projected revenue of $195 billion by 2026. You could visit a friend's house and not know their system is hacked. It gives the hackers that insight. If they're able to take over, say, your Amazon or your Google Alexa or your uh, Amazon Alexa, your Google Home, uh, they, they can have access past that physical barrier, right? How bad could it really get if your home is hacked? Could you imagine if somebody was just flicking your lights on and off constantly every 10 or 15 seconds? I mean, that would, that would psychologically impact the person, you know, and it's a technical attack. Amazon has been aiming for a complete automated smart home offering, acquiring home security company Ring, smart doorbell company Blink, and home Wi-Fi company Eero. Even the Alexa Smart Assistant was developed as the result of an acquisition back in 1999. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, the women's tennis 23-time major champion at a crossroads in life. Will the next U.S. Open be her last? NTD's Dave Martin breaks down Williams' hints at a possible retirement. That and more when we return on NTD News. California's Bay Area, river water is getting saltier every year. While it's impacting farmers and residents alike, area officials are looking for ways to resolve the problem. NTD's Daniel Hall reports. Saltwater is seeping into California's freshwater. That's as less rain and snowfall for the state are causing freshwater ways to run low, allowing salty seawater to creep in from the Pacific. The impacts are particularly noticeable for California-based farmers who grow fruits and vegetables for the entire United States. The water's been getting progressively worse and worse with salt. I mean, um, every year it's becoming more of a challenge. Uh, this year in particular with our cucumbers, we're having 14%, 16% crooked cucumbers, and a lot of that's attributable to salt. Um, normally that's 5%. So our yields are off. Our yields are probably off 25%. Costa's cucumber crops are used to make pickles that eventually get sold to national chain stores like Subway. As the salt damages his yearly crops, there are implications on consumers, but with the way things are now, Costa is already trying to survive as is. We just try to hang on and hope the water quality gets better. But I mean, basically we're paying our bills with 75%, if we're lucky, of our income but the bills don't change, the bills have only gone up. Some methods are already underway to help out the growers. In the state's Delta region where rivers meet the sea, the Department of Water Resources is building barriers to keep salty water away from pumps. This particular um, rock barrier is very important because it's serving a purpose to help mitigate the negative effects of the current drought emergency we're in. The department stacked 112,000 tons of rock 30 feet deep in the waterway. Um, and so really, without the release of more fresh water, then the interior delta can get salty. And so what this barrier behind me is doing is it's allowing us to keep control of this interior delta salinity for the protection of all the beneficial uses of these delta waters. The city of Antioch, which sits along the delta rivers, is taking a stronger approach. This is the first inland brackish water desalinization plant in the state of California. 
Antioch has supplied its residents with river water for 32 days for this year. That's just a quarter of the amount supplied for the same time last year, 128 days. We're noticing increased salinity where our intake is located. So uh, each year we seem to be able to use our intake less and less due to the salinity in the, in the Bay Area. And so as a result, we're building this new plant so that this, when the uh, salinity levels in the delta go up, we can continue to use our river intake to treat water for our residents. While desalination has been controversial in California, the inland plant will take less energy due to lower salt levels. Samuelson said other Bay Area cities are asking about following their model. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. Chinese investors continue to buy up farmland in the United States. As we've previously reported, two U.S. senators are trying to block the Chinese Communist Party from buying any U.S. farmland, calling it a security risk. Now, taking a closer look into this issue is NTD's Jason Perry. Many raised concerns after a business linked to the Chinese Communist Party bought farmland near a U.S. military base in North Dakota. Recently, Republican Senators Tom Cotton and Tommy Tuberville proposed a bill that would prevent the Chinese Communist Party from buying farmland in America. In a statement, Cotton said approximately 14 states already have some level of foreign ownership restriction, but there are no federal laws on the amount of private farmland that can be owned by foreigners. We shouldn't be letting uh, the CCP buy land in the United States. I mean, it's, it's, it's ludicrous when you think about it. I spoke with geopolitical analyst Anders Kaur, who is also the publisher of the Journal of Political Risk. The Chinese Communist Party is so adversarial, so aggressive. I mean, we've seen that in the past days in Taiwan. Uh, we know there's a Uyghur genocide. We know there's a Falun Gong genocide. Um, for all these reasons, uh, we should really put more regulations on how we do business uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. As for land already purchased by the CCP, Core explains that there are laws in the books that would allow the United States to take back ownership. If the owner doesn't want to sell the property, the government can force the owner to sell the property via eminent domain um, at market rates. Um, but in this case, um, we could use eminent domain um, uh, based on national security principles to purchase the land from the CCP where they've already purchased it. Um, but we also need laws um, that would deny them the ability to purchase it uh, in the first place um, for future potential purchases. Chinese investors' holdings of U.S. farmland grew from around 13,000 acres in 2010 to over 350,000 acres in 2020, according to Senator Cotton's statement. In total, it makes up about 1% of the total amount of foreign-owned farmland in the U.S. Jason Perry, NTD News. And as summer scorches part of the country, some lives can be in danger from the high temperatures. NTD's Jackie Rios talked to a paramedic firefighter about the dangers of people and even pets stuck in hot environments. Summer heat can be uncomfortable, unbearable, and even worse, it could be deadly when children are left unattended in vehicles as temperatures soar. We talked to the Monrovia Fire Department to learn all there is to know about heat emergencies. Jeremy Phipps, a paramedic firefighter with the city of Monrovia in Los Angeles County, said as temperatures go up, so do the number of heat emergency calls. 
He says certain groups are more susceptible than others. With regards to the elderly and pets, uh, we do see a lot of that. Children and elderly are very susceptible to heat emergencies, uh, more so than a just a, a younger, healthy individual. Uh, the elder people will see them in their homes uh, without AC units, without all that. Uh, they can suffer very similar injuries to a car being left in a uh, hot, a child being left in a hot car. Viv said the heat inside a car can dramatically increase within a few minutes. The color of the car, tinted windows, and parking the car in direct sunlight all contribute to how much it can heat up. With a car parked in the summer heat, uh, the car can increase in temperature drastically over the ambient temperature outside. Uh, you can see temperature rises from 20 to 30 degrees over what the outside temperature is. Uh, that temperature increase can happen within 10 minutes. Other factors can include the person or pet involved. Both children and the elderly are, are two most vulnerable uh, populations for heat emergencies. Uh, other factors that also affect the elderly is medications that they take um, also can cause them to not regulate their temperature as well as, as a child will. Pets are in just as much danger as a child is. You know, pets are very important parts of people's family too. And, you know, they also have a hard time regulating their body temperature. Fib said half of child deaths in hot cars are accidental. And there are ways to lower those statistics. 58% of these accidents are actually accidental. Uh, if that's the kid getting into the car by accident with the parent not knowing that, or if that's the parent accidentally leaving the car because of a change in routine or something like that. Uh, my suggestion is you can leave items into your car uh, that you need, like a cell phone or a purse, so that it's a reminder to, to get the child out. He recommended the website kidsandcars.org for information about keeping kids safe. But if a child is found inside a hot car, People have to get them out and contact 911 as quickly as possible. One thing is important for parents to learn that if they do have a defenseless child that somehow gets trapped inside that car is if you can teach them to honk the horn, to turn on the emergency flashers or any other way that they can notify a passerby to come and help them. And the thing is we don't know how long that child's been in that car. So it's important to get them out of the car and into a cool environment. In the middle of summer in Southern California, we all need to pay extra attention to the most vulnerable members of our society. If you see someone who might need assistance, you're encouraged to make the 911 call immediately. And remember, every second counts. Jackie Rios, NTD News, Los Angeles. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Tennis star Serena Williams suggested she may be retiring soon in an essay she wrote on Vogue.com. Williams said, quote, I'm evolving away from tennis toward other things that are important to me. In an Instagram post regarding her Vogue essay, Williams said, quote, now the countdown has begun. She then ends the post, suggesting the U.S. Open, which starts in a few weeks, may be her last, saying, quote, I'm going to relish these next few weeks. Williams will turn 41 in September. She's one of the most accomplished players ever with 23 Grand Slam titles, which is just one short of Margaret Court's all-time record. Williams, though, has been stuck at 23 since winning the Australian Open in 2017, though she's made the finals of a Grand Slam event four times since then. Yesterday, she won her first match in more than a year when she advanced past the first round of the Canadian Open with a straight sets victory. She's also scheduled to play at the Western and Southern Open next week in preparation for the U.S. Open, which starts on August 29. 
In basketball news, Nets star Kevin Durant reiterated his trade request in a meeting with owner Joe Tsai, according to a source with the Associated Press. The source also said that the former MVP Durant is concerned with the direction of the team under general manager Sean Marks and head coach Steve Nash. Neither Durant nor the team has confirmed details of their talk. The Athletic was the first report on the meeting. Nets owner Joe Tsai tweeted Monday night, quote, our front office and coaching staff have my support. The 33-year-old Durant signed three years ago with Brooklyn. Due to injuries though, he's only played in 87 of a possible 226 regular season games since then. Yet he's still proven himself as one of the top players out there, averaging nearly 30 points a game last year. Durant, who's won two NBA titles, is currently signed for the next four years at a total of nearly $200 million. In NFL news, Jets tackle Mekhi Becton suffered a knee injury in practice Monday that will more than likely end his season, according to head coach Robert Saleh. The massive Becton, who's listed at 6'7 and weighing more than 360 pounds, reportedly suffered a chip fracture in the right kneecap. Becton, who was the team's first-round pick in 2020, missed nearly all of last season with an injury in the same knee. When healthy, though, Becton's flashed tremendous potential, especially in the run game, with the ability to move defenders with a single arm. In his absence, ESPN is reporting that New York is looking to sign five-time Pro Bowl selection Dwayne Brown. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And coming up, Taiwan's top diplomat worries China may launch a war against Taiwan as the Chinese military extends their drills and encircles the island. But he says Beijing's threats ultimately only show Taiwan's resilience. And Taiwan's top microchip manufacturer says it won't be able to operate in the case of a Chinese invasion. The U.S. is heavily dependent on the company for cutting-edge chips. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guide. What do today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why. What's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Taiwan's top diplomat says he worries that China may launch a war against Taiwan. That's as the Chinese military announces new updates on drills it's holding in the ocean around the island. Here's more. The Chinese military announced Monday it will extend drills around Taiwan. The drill started last week following House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's landmark visit to the island. Ladies and gentlemen, the president and the speaker have arrived. Taiwan says it has detected 13 Chinese warships in waters off its coast. The island's foreign minister explains his concerns. I worry that China may really launch a war against Taiwan. 
But what it is doing right now is trying to scare us. And the best way to deal with it, to show to China that we are not scared. Beijing's drill covers multiple zones around Taiwan, effectively encircling the island. What's more, the Chinese military has crossed the median line during the drill. That's the unofficial divide between mainland China and Taiwan. Here's some background on China's relationship with Taiwan. Taiwan's current government used to rule mainland China, but fled to Taiwan during a civil war. Even so, Beijing still sees Taiwan as part of mainland Chinese territory. It has also threatened to take the island by force. That's despite Taiwan never having been ruled by the Chinese Communist Party. Back to the drill, some have raised concerns that Speaker Pelosi's visit triggered the strong reaction from Beijing. Here's Foreign Minister Joseph Wu's take. China has always been threatening Taiwan for years, and it's getting more serious in the last few years. And it's always been uh, that way. Uh, whether Speaker Pelosi visit Taiwan or not, the Chinese military threat against Taiwan has always been there. And that is the fact that we need to deal with. Asked if Taiwan's democratic system has ever been in more danger than it is today, I can tell you that uh, Taiwan is more resilient than before. Look at Taiwan these days. You know, China is trying to impose uh, trade sanctions against Taiwan, trying to attack Taiwan from military or non-military aspect. The life goes on here in Taiwan, and Taiwan shows its resilience. Wu previously rallied for international support. He said if Taiwan comes under a Chinese invasion, he hopes fellow democracies would rally around Taiwan and deter the Chinese regime. And staying on Taiwan, the island's top microchip manufacturer says its factory will be non-operable in the case of a Chinese invasion. NTD's Chenny Wu has the details. The world's leading semiconductor manufacturer, TSMC, warns it would shut down if China invades Taiwan. America depends on this one Taiwanese company for the most cutting-edge microchips. Nobody can control TSMC by force. Uh, if you take a military force or invasion, you will render TSMC factory non-operable because this is such a sophisticated uh, manufacturing facilities. Liu explained that chip manufacturing is not an isolated operation and relies on global supply chains. So if you take it, out, take it over by force, you can no longer make it operable. TSMC is one of the world's most important chip makers. It makes most of the globe's most cutting-edge chips, which function as the brains for smartphones, computers, and even fighter jets. Without chips, our modern life wouldn't be possible. U.S. chip giants like NVIDIA and Qualcomm depend on TSMC for chip production. Apple also goes to TSMC for iPhone chips. Our dependence on TSMC um, is is great, and the vulnerability of them to China is great as well. Senator Cotton said the semiconductor issue highlights America's responsibility to Taiwan. And this is one reason why Taiwan is not just a strategic and a moral question for the American people, but also vital to make sure that we don't allow 
the Chinese Communist Party to seize control of the world's most important chip manufacturer. Chen Yiwu, NTD News. And as tensions escalate between the U.S. and China over Taiwan, EU leaders are reluctant to weigh in on the dispute. Taiwan's representative to France is calling on the bloc and other leading nations around the world to support the self-ruled island. Here's NTD's France correspondent David Vivas with this report. François Shishong Wu is Taiwan's representative to France. Though his role is the closest thing to an ambassador, Francis has been denying him this title due to the government's official position on Taiwan. This fact highlights the complicated relationships between France and Taiwan. The French government follows the European Union's diplomatic stance on Taiwan, which is to not recognize the self-ruled island as a sovereign nation. At the same time, the EU has developed economic and diplomatic relations with Taiwan. And according to the bloc's foreign policy chief, both share values of democracy, rule of law and human rights. Wu said last week's visit by U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi to the island was important in the face of increased military and economic pressure from China. There's one thing that we have to consider, we really have to consider. If Nancy Pelosi hadn't come, well, how would the world have looked at this situation? The Chinese leader would have claimed the victory and would have said, Look, we have set a red line and the Americans have surrendered. We can't have China defining red lines for the whole world. One day after Pelosi's visit, the J7 foreign ministers, which include the US, France and the UK, in a statement reaffirmed their commitment to the rules-based international order, as well as peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. Ministers also condemned what they call Beijing's threatening actions, particularly life-fire exercises and economic coercion. They said it was normal and routine for legislators to travel internationally. Wu says he's hoping Taiwan will receive more direct support from across the world. It is not necessary to put it all on the shoulders of the Americans. Again, the Americans can't wage war against China either. So I think what will save Taiwan is not just this one particular move coming from the United States, but it will be the solidarity of the leading nations and also of the people of the world who are reasonable and who believe in democracy. According to Wu, the very existence of Taiwan demonstrates there is an alternative to the communist regime in China. I think that China is in a very deep crisis. Seeking freedom, democracy is part of human nature. It is really this value of democracy that scares the Chinese communist system. Taiwan was able to prove that in a Chinese society, democracy, freedom, transparency, it can work very well. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Coming up, the heat wave in Europe isn't all that bad, at least not for salt farmers in France. The non-stop sunshine and light winds have turbocharged salt production. Stay tuned for more when we come back. Welcome back. Scorching temperatures and drought have baked the French countryside in recent weeks, but one group has seen a surprising victory amid the conditions. Salt farmers. The blistering heat waves that have hit France have produced a reluctant winner. 
Salt farmers in the northwestern Gironde area have seen production soar. The region makes the so-called white gold of the salt trade, which sells in the US at more than $100 a kilo. Francois Durand is a salt farmer. We're heading towards record production. At the moment, we're looking at over 2.5 tonnes for each pan, while the average over the last 10 years has been 1.3 tonnes. Garand usually sees variable Atlantic weather, but this year it has experienced more than 40 days of almost non-stop sunshine and light winds. That has turbocharged the evaporation process, which produces the salt. It means little rest for those who work the salt flats. The workers wheelbarrows along narrow mud walls and scrape sea salt from the bottom of the flats, using techniques that have changed little over four centuries. Audrey Lawyer is a salt worker. The salt workers are tired. I think it's been more than 40 days without a break. There hasn't been enough rain on the flats to justify a break. Several salt farmers told Reuters they now had reserves to cover the next couple of years. But while they have seen short-term benefits to the heatwave, other parts of France have dealt with wildfires and water shortages. France's salt farmers take little pleasure in being one of the few winners from a scorching summer. Well, that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.